This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 213. Hi, Michael Hyatt, author of your best year ever, a five-step plan for achieving your most important goals. Make sure your year includes moments reserved for this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. A, thinking you can't do something is a mindset that is worth examining about whether it's true or not. And B, it's important to be deliberate about living the life you want. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. This is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Jeff Brown, and it's my belief that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of that plan. The Read to Lead podcast is not only going to help you narrow this important reading list, but bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's brightest minds, successful and inspiring authors. In just a few minutes, you and I will be joined by Ben Fetter. Ben is the author of Take Off Your Shoes, One Man's Journey from the Boardroom to Bali and Back. And if memory serves, this may be the first time ever the book being featured on the podcast is actually a memoir. And though Ben would probably be the first to tell you he's not one to dole out advice, there's a lot to be learned from reading his book. It's one that I plan to pass along to friends and family, the people I care about most. Well, let's get to it, shall we? Ben Fetter is a business executive who is also devoted to his wife and four children. Unfortunately, those two don't always go together, do they? He is a senior executive at Tencent, the Chinese global conglomerate that owns WeChat and dominates China's internet-related media and technology industries. In fact, it's Asia's most valuable company by market cap. His book again, out today, is called Take Off Your Shoes, One Man's Journey from the Boardroom to Bali and Back. Ben, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the Read to Lead podcast. Hi, Jeff. It's nice to be here. Well, I thought we'd start by having you take us through your journey working for the video game company Take-Two Interactive and, and the events that led up to your becoming the CEO before we get into some of these other details about your, your time in, in Bali. Sure. Well, you know, the events that led up to it, I'm told are something that's never been done in corporate American history before, which was a changeover of the board and the management team um, by a shareholder vote from the floor of the shareholder meeting, which is to say no proxy fight, none of that stuff. Mm. It was just kind of very, very quick, very fast. You know, I was a, a private equity investor um, and an operator. And, you know, because of the way we came into that company, we kind of I arrived as I became the CEO almost overnight. Um, not a lot of diligence ahead of time. And just because of the way the situation was. Um, and I arrived at, at Take-Two as a CEO in a troubled situation and, you know, set about doing a turnaround, which I had done before. And over the course of four years, we took the company from kind of a troubled state to one of the best companies, best positioned companies in the industry, I should say. And today it's gone from, it's gone from market cap of less than a billion dollars to today about $13 billion. Now, you were there, I, th I think, uh, in about four years when you came to sort of a crossroads. Talk about some of the struggles you went through in regard to specifically, Ben, uh, work-life balance in, in those years at, at Take-Two. You know, I'd reached a point where, you know, I'd spent four years kind of circling the globe doing what I do as a, as a hard-driving striving CEO, burning desire to succeed, like a lot of people that I'm sure listen to your podcast. 
and I really kind of led, you know, leaned into the machine, really tried to create value for shareholders, build the enterprise, build market cap. I was doing everything that um, everybody imagines themselves doing in that situation. And somewhere along the line, I realized that I had left some of the key people in my life not quite behind, but certainly kind of in the backseat somewhere. And there was a moment I remember kind of coming home from work one day. And my son, who was, I guess, in his last year of middle school, was barricaded inside his room doing his homework. I walked in and said hello to him. He just gave me some sort of grunt. (laughs) And then, um, you know, at dinner, he just grunted some more. And I had this realization that, you know, I've been on an airplane for four years. He's a serious student. He's entering high school. He's just going to have his head down for four years. And then he's off to college. And then it's kind of over. Mm. Right? And kind of in this moment passes. And once it passes, it never returns. And my wife and I had always had this fantasy about taking extended time off and traveling together as a family. Of course, it never happened because we get caught up in the currents of life and the urgencies of work and home. And I just had this moment of, you know, now or never, this is, you know, I was becoming this father and husband that I never intended to be. You know, somebody's on the road and never around. And whatever success I had, I know all these, you know, when I grew up, and I'm sure you do too, right? All these kids that had parents that were successful, but, mm-hmm. you know, had no relationship with them. And that's just not what I wanted. And there mm-hmm. came a moment where I needed to decide what is the life that I want? What life do I want to lead? How do I want to lead it? And what can I do about this realistically? And came up with the notion, actually, my wife came up with the notion of, you know, can we take a break? Can we just take some time off? You know, maybe borrow a little bit from our ultimate retirement and have it now when we're young enough and our children are young enough to really enjoy our time together and connect in a way that I wasn't able to connect while I was kind of running this global turnaround. Um, And so we decided, you know, one evening that this is what we were going to do. And it took a lot of preparation. There's a lot of advanced work that needed to be done. It's not something you do impulsively. And we decided, all right, you know, together, that for me and for my family, this is something that we needed to do. And so we decided to take a year off. Mm. Well, I thought it was interesting uh, to read that you were surprised uh, as, as news got out, as, as more people learned of this decision, not so much by what people were saying, but by something else. Uh, can, can, you, can you explain that? You know, I got a lot of positive feedback. What was surprising was both, you know, the number of people that gave me this positive feedback, Mm. as well as the kinds of people that gave it to me, right? And the feedback mostly is, wow, A, you know, wow, what a courageous move. B, kind of, wow, somebody who knows when enough is enough. Mm. Or, you know, along those lines, especially people within the company, wow, this is real leadership showing you know, us what's really important. Not that it's important to take the year off, but at least make deliberate choices about how you're going to live your life. And what was surprising was how many people said it to me. And then from people that I kind of thought, you know, because of I had known them in a professional setting that were just as hard driving as I was, that, you know, I thought weren't thinking the same kinds of thoughts that I was thinking. Mm. And all of them have a fantasy about doing that. All of them. And, you know, nobody ever does because they have a fantasy and they wake up in the morning and just get right back, <laughs> get right back to work. Well, I so admire that. I've got to ask, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe on, on the cusp of making a, a similar decision, but like you for a time just doesn't see how it's going to happen? I, say, I have two answers to that question. One is I really try not to give people advice. <laughs> I really I, I tell my story and, mm. and a reader can take away from it what he or she will. And every life situation is different and uh, everybody's life experiences coming into reading the book is different. So everybody will see it differently. So that's kind of one answer to it. That said, I do think one of the lessons, if you will, I really try not to draw lessons, but if you want, if you're insisted on on drawing a lesson from it, it's that A, thinking you can't do something is a mindset 
that is worth examining about whether it's true or not. Mm. And that B, it's important to be deliberate about living the life you want. And it's really easy to get caught up in the current of life, as I say, the urgencies of work and of home. It's worth asking yourself the question, is this achieving what I want to achieve? Do I need to do this all the time? Do I need to do this now? And the power of taking a step back and making a deliberate choice for what you want, I think is probably an overarching theme in the book that is really worth considering. Hmm. And if you're a if you're an executive in a company and thinking of taking some time off, there are lots of resources on the internet and in books about how to take a sabbatical without losing your money or your mind. <laughs> um, and um, you know, I'm not this kind of not it's not my it's not my place, nor do I have a lot of suggestions for how to go about doing it, other than to say it's not an impulsive thing. It requires a lot of planning. But if you plan for it and you decide this is what you want, you will get there. And because I've done this, I've I've met a lot of other people who've done it, and I have not met a single person who has regretted taking a sabbatical. Mm. I think you make a, an important distinction. This is a memoir, really. This is not a how-to book, uh, and it's a book after after reading it myself, I want to give to my to my wife to read. We're, we're on the same page when it comes to this sort of uh, idea, but I'm very much a fan of not waiting till retirement to experience retirement, if you know what I mean. <laughs> or, you know, it's the, the old saw about are you living to work or are you working to live, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so now you and your family, you've made this decision to travel and, and remain there for uh, up to a year what was going through your mind, Ben, as, as your family physically made the trek? Were you having second thoughts? Were you having doubts about whether or not you'd made the right decision? You know, I really try not to uh, engage in regret. It's, mm. it's kind of a wasted emotion. So I'm going to sidestep the question a little bit. <laughs> that said, you know, I would say more of the second guessing took place in the period of time of when I decided to do it mm. and then actually doing it. Once it was done, it was done. But there are many moments when you kind of wonder whether it's the right thing to do because, you know, it does involve sacrifice Mm. for some greater good. You know, at that moment, I do remember that it's unlikely I'll ever regret taking time off, right? If anything, (laughs) when I came back, you know, the only thing I regretted was not taking more time. Mm. Well, I know that first sort of side trip to Singapore was was a little bit of a struggle in the sense that there were temptations and you were having thoughts of getting back into it. Describe how, how you dealt with some of that. You know, I went on sabbatical, but I didn't like walk away from work entirely. Mm. Um, you know, I checked into the office. I checked in with my partners. I um, uh, when I was on sabbatical, I kept up business conversations with other people that were on sabbatical. What's kind of surprising when you get when you get to a place like Bali is how many people, urban professionals like myself, were also doing the same thing. <laughs> as well as local entrepreneurs, internet entrepreneurs that were doing really interesting things. So I kind of, I kept up with those business conversations, but I, I placed a ring fence around it emotionally and and cognitively, right? I just, I was there to spend time with my family, my kids, not to start getting right back on that treadmill again. In fact, the school that my kids went to, when I first got there, they asked me to join the board of the school. And I just really, you know, while I was interested in it, and I thought the mission of the school was fascinating and, um, and inspiring. If I was going to get involved in boards and business discussions again, I will have missed the moment that I took for myself. All that sacrifice would have been for nothing. Mm. So while I engaged in those conversations, I really tried to limit them and focus on taking time off and being with my family and trying to you know, explore things personally as well as with my, as well as with my wife and children. Mm. Well, as someone who myself has read a lot about mindfulness and and has experimented with meditation the last couple of years i I so identified ben with your desire to find and and this is a direct quote i think from the book peace of meditation without the weirdness the peace of meditation without 
the weirdness. Uh, can can you share a bit about that journey? I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> Uh, you know, I had a lot of, I, so I decided when I went on sabbatical that I was going to make learning how to meditate one of my goals. Mm. Um, Cause even though I'm on sabbatical, I'm still goal oriented. <laughs> um, and so I decided I was going to learn how to meditate and I thought Bali would be a place to do it. And there were kind of places to learn how to meditate and there were, you know, a lot of false starts and, mm. um, which, you know, ironically or paradoxically is kind of, it's part of like what meditation is about. It's all about false starts and coming back to the breath. But there was, you know, when I started, I kind of, I found a flyer somewhere in town that sort of taught meditation at an ashram somewhere out of town. So I kind of, I went to this ashram and that really wasn't for me. And then I went to this Tibetan singing bowl meditation session in another yoga studio in another part of town. And that ended in failure. I just kind of, (laughs) I just couldn't connect with it. And in the end, you know, I learned meditation in a way that most meditation masters say you need to begin, which is just just sit for 10 minutes. Just sit mm-hmm. and listen to your breath. It's a wonderful experiment people do I've seen in these meditation centers. Just kind of, let's, let's take 60 seconds and let's focus on your breath. And at the end of 60 seconds, you ask the room, it's like, well, how many people's mind wandered into something else? <laughs> and inevitably, everybody's does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and this whole notion of quieting the mind requires a lot of diligent practice. It doesn't have to be sitting for an hour. It can be sitting for 60 seconds. It could be sitting for 10 minutes. Mm. Um, and over time, you kind of improve it. But there are you know, somewhat humorous moments in Bali of my trying to um, <laughs> figure this thing out. And uh, I think everybody's got to come to it in, through their own portal that makes sense to them. And for me, mine was really about reading about it and learning about it. Uh, you know, Even YouTube videos are great for just kind of understanding what it's about. And then ultimately just sitting on my own. Mm. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of failure involved, isn't there? <laughs> well, I think failure is part of the process. I mean, yeah. people say in business, right? Don't be afraid of failure. Failure yeah. is part of learning. It's part of growing, which is absolutely correct. You know, when your mind wanders, it's easy for somebody who's achievement oriented and trying to learn how to meditate to think that that's failure. There's a better way to do it, understanding that that's part of the process mm. and that that moment of recognition is actually the moment of mindfulness like oh my mind wandered and then you're aware of what you're thinking you're aware of your thoughts Mm. and what you find over time is that that failure that awareness ultimately is what quiets the mind in the end ben what was bali for you escape was it was it redemption uh renewal or was it some combination of, of the three or something else entirely um you know i don't think it was escape i wouldn't i wouldn't say that at all i think bali to me was a deliberate choice to lead the life you want Mm. For sure, it was renewal. For sure, it was redemption. I guess it was a little bit of escape, but it really was about making deliberate choices. And that, at the end of the day, is the most empowering. And for me, too, it was also a journey of self-exploration. On the face of it, the book is kind of a story about my sabbatical in Bali with my family. But really, it's about personal transformation, professional transformation, and even transition. And to me, the book was all about kind of learning about how to grow, how to have a growth mindset. There's a lot of meditation and yoga mm. and even art and learning new skills late in life. It was all of that for me. In addition to connecting with my family and having shared experiences with my family that I didn't have before, right? I'd be traveling all over the place and I'd doing all these exciting things in my career, but it had nothing to do with the rest of my family. Mm. You know, you end up feeling distant from them. So it's a way to reconnect as well. One thing I really keyed in on was upon your return, realizing how your colleagues and coworkers had viewed the time that had passed versus how you had viewed the time that had passed. To them, it was like a blink of an eye, and to you, it, it felt much longer. Is that, is that an accurate way to say it? 
Yeah, I, it is an accurate way to say it. You know, we all notice as we get older that time just flies, right? Where did the time go, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And what I discovered was at least part of what that's about is as we get older, we also get into our routines. We have our jobs, we get up in the morning, we go to our jobs, we come home, and it's kind of the same day in, day out. And what I found was when I walked away from that for a period of time and felt like every day I was experiencing something new and exciting and life-changing, that time slowed down and that it did not feel like it was passing away too quickly. Mm. And then when I got back to New York and I sort of, I said, I'm back, you know, look at their watch, like, you back already? It feels like you just left yesterday. <laughs> and for me, I felt like I'd been gone in eternity. And for them, it's just like, well, you know, between the time I left and the time I got back, you know, they did three more deals. And that's all it was. And they're going to do another three more deals in the next... <laughs> So it, it, it was kind of a little instruction on the relativity and how people and how time moves differently depending on your perspective. What were some of the most difficult parts, I guess, of making the transition back to, to New York life and in your job? Uh, well, first of all, kids are really resilient. Right? So kids <laughs> have an easy time. Oh, good. Um, uh, the grown-ups, you know, a little bit of a more difficult time, right? So the first moment you kind of you walk into the city and see the skyscrapers, I had this tourist moment. Of, wow, look at those buildings. Um, <laughs> and to me, the fundamental challenge of integrating is this sense of being back in the city and wanting to achieve and succeed and do and have all that come rushing back to me on the one hand, and yet still have the, the muscle memory of, you know, being still and focusing on other things that were important to me. And so it's the integration of what I call being and doing simultaneously. Mm. And that's the primary challenge. And I think I've arrived at a good place and a good balance between the two, but, you know, inevitably things fall out of balance and you always have to, you know, realign them. Mm. But that's the key integration challenge um, or the key re-entry challenge is kind of integrating the sense of being and doing. Well, Ben, this has been a wonderful conversation. Before I let you go, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions not directly related to the book. But before I do that, is is there anything else you want to impart us with? As I say, I'm really not trying to I'm really not trying to provide any lessons or mm-hmm. tell people what to do or how to manage their careers or how to manage their families. I tell my story. I think it's a compelling story. I think it's a compelling story precisely because of the view that I had from being the top of an organization and the courage to walk away from kind of a really exciting mm-hmm. um, job that way. But apart from that, I want readers to take away from the story what they will take away from the story. It's a meditative story in a way. And um, I think there's a lot to learn, whether it's inspirational, aspirational, or motivational. There's a lot for your listeners to really get from a book like mine. Mm. Well, you you reference a number of books in your book. I love it when an author uh, does that because I make a list of some of which I have not yet read and and want to read. What would you say are are two or three titles, Ben, that immediately come to mind as, as having had a big impact on you? the last few years and, and maybe share why or how they impacted you as they did. Well, first, the book that comes to mind that I tell people to, you know, what got me turned on to meditation in the first place or mindful meditation in the first place is a book called Joyful Wisdom by a, a meditation master named uh, Yonggi Rinpoche. And he's, he's got a really interesting story to tell because he grows up in Nepal with what would be described today as severe anxiety disorder, part of the world where there was lots to be anxious about, you know, your food security issues, shelter security issues. Mm. And then he kind of, he, you know, he goes to, he becomes this monk and finds his way to the U.S. And he kind of, he arrives and he sees all the shiny cars and the shopping malls and all that. And he thinks, wow, people here must be so happy. And then he kind of realizes what's, you know, what's really going on. And it's really an inquiry into, well, what's happening exactly? What is going through people's minds where they have everything they need, really? And yet everybody's walking around so tense. Hmm. And so it's kind of an exploration 
that I thought was really compelling. And so that's one book. The other is Carol Dweck's book called Mindset. She's a professor at Stanford and really talks about, especially executives, that which have, have either what she calls either growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And the fixed mindset says we have to succeed. Nothing counts but achievement and success. Mm. The learning is not important. And you have a fixed idea of how people behave and who people are. Whereas the growth mindset enables you to understand that people change, that our brains change, that our minds change, that the world changes, and that you have a curiosity and a, a learning disposition about how the world really works and what your mindset is about. And that shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset is an amazing shift, and I would say is one that I went through. And a lot of that relates to um, what's known as neuroplasticity, which is to say that the brain is constantly changing. Who we are, the notion that we are who we are and we can never change is is wrong. In fact, scientists have discovered that the anatomy, the physical anatomy of the brain can actually change through things like meditation and deliberate ways of thinking. Mm. And so another book that I'd recommend is The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Doidge. Also a fantastic book into brain plasticity. And a lot of this thinking kind of weaves its way into the writing of my book. And I, I love that it did. I enjoyed that. Uh, well, Ben has, has since left uh, Take Two Interactive, as I said at the top of the show, is now with a company called Tencent. Uh, what, what's next for you, Ben? What are you and your team working on now that, that's got you excited? Um, I'm very involved in the interactive entertainment industry, which I think every year gets bigger, more interesting, more varied. I've always enjoyed working in creative industry. I love working with creative people in the video game business is one of the not only most creative industries that I've been in a long time, but also kind of, you know, the kind of creative people that it, it attracts are kind of highly intelligent, highly motivated. And so I really enjoy talking to a lot of developers and um, understanding what people are working on and the more powerful the internet becomes and machines become and the more innovation that comes along, the different ways entrepreneurs are figuring out how to incorporate gameplay into all of this. And so incorporating play into technology, into entertainment, all of it is uh, super interesting to me and that's what I'm engaged in. Mm. Well, the book again is called uh, Take Off Your Shoes, One Man's Journey from the Boardroom to Bali and back. Ben, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff. I've really enjoyed our time together. As always, for the links and resources we talked about, including connecting with Ben, you can visit the show notes page created just for this episode. That's found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 213 for episode 213. I don't know what's going on, but in the last week, we've had a flurry of ratings and reviews in iTunes for the Read to Lead podcast, and I'm happy to say all of them five-star ratings. First one from Vincent, who calls it informative, professional, engaging, and insightful. Thanks, Vincent. Chris says, awesome and helpful show. Appreciate that, Chris. Someone who calls himself BMAC595 says, awesome content. Wendy in Virginia, insightful and entertaining. Carrie Oberbrunner calls it one of his favorites. And Mater Pie's mom says, always on point. Thanks to each and every one of you. If you'd like to leave a rating and review, and also if you'd like to subscribe, the easy way to do that is in Apple Podcasts. Just visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. And if you're an Android user, consider Stitcher, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. You can subscribe there as well. At any time, you can visit the website for various options, readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.